Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Dot Differently. This is Jeremy Kalinowski and today we're studying Sahim, page 12. Good bet. Uh, as, you, as you recall from yesterday, we are discussing the time, the exact time at which one has to stop eating chametz on the eve of Passover. We had a debate between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. And what's interesting about this, uh, in, the course of, in the course of it, one has to, to figure out exactly what time one has to stop eating eating chametz. But I'm interested for today's session uh, about the margin of error in the ancient world for saying what time it was. And we'll see that there's a particular aspect of rabbinic law which bears some interesting comparisons to modern philosophy. So, um, of course, they didn't have watches, they didn't have precise times, they didn't have all kinds of things. So when you said that something happened in the fourth hour of the day, well, that could be a very broad, that could be a very broad time range. So what's interesting to me about our page today is that the rabbis extrapolate from getting the time right on Erev Pesach to getting the exact time right if you had seen a you were a witness in a criminal case. So how much margin for error? How much about? You know, it was about 10 o'clock. Well, what does about cover? Does it cover from 9 to 11? Uh, does it cover from 9.45 to 10.15, you know, in, in, in our modern terms? What, what, is, what is a reasonable margin for error when I tell you what time it is? And so uh, what's important about this is to know that, first of all, in rabbinic jurisprudence, criminal cases, uh, the witnesses in the court have to be exactly aligned. They can't differ. And if they differ, their testimony is thrown out. So we have to know how much margin of error is acceptable there. And the second thing that you have to know to get this is uh, to know that there's a concept in rabbinic law called hazama, uh, or or um, to demonstrate the witnesses that the witnesses are conspiring to frame the defendant. Edim zomimim, conspiring witnesses, uh, is is the Torah's term. And the Torah in in uh, Deuteronomy 19 says that. Uh, that when people conspire to frame another person, when they are caught as framers, they get the punishment that they had intended to do to the uh, the person that they were framing. So, Adim Zomimim, who conspire and falsely testify in a murder trial, are themselves to be executed. And this concept of Adim Zomimim is, is explained fully in Tractate Sanhedrin and also Tractate Makot, which are years away in, in the Dafyomi cycle. So, what you need to know about Hazama, which again literally means to prove that somebody was a conspiring framer, a lot of English words for one Hebrew word, um, is that in any criminal case or any capital case, the testimony must include a certain basic uh, uh, quantity of testimony about which it is possible to prove that the witnesses are conspiring. That is to say, if there's no possibility that the witnesses could be conspiring, if they cannot be, if they cannot be 
uh, convicted of conspiring, neither is their testimony admissible at all. And so to do that, our page quotes, the discussion is really given a little more fully in Tractate Sanhedrin, but our page does quote that there are two kinds of uh, analyses that judges are supposed to, to cross-examine witnesses on. Uh, rabbinic law is not an, not an adversarial process like we have in the United States where there's a lawyer for the state and a defense lawyer. In fact, it's, it's an inquisitorial process. Judges just examine. So the judges are supposed to cross-examine the witnesses to, to find the truth. And they have to ask different kinds of questions. One question they have to ask is a hakira, an investigation. Another kind is a bidika, a check. Bidika is, for our purposes of our discussion today, um, a kind of a lesser, lesser level of investigation, and it just means getting the facts right on the on the case. What was, what was the defendant wearing? Exactly what kind of weapon did he use? What did he say? You know, all, all things like that. And about such things, um, about such things, the the uh, witnesses can have a certain amount of ignorance. You know, I don't remember what what color what color uh, shirt the the defendant was wearing. I I, didn't, I couldn't tell if it was a if it was a long knife or a short knife. I only you know I saw him stab, but I didn't really see the knife itself or something like that. About that, um, a small discrepancy between the two eyewitnesses testifying before the court is not fatal to the prosecution or fatal to the investigation. However, there's a different class of questions called hakirot, which are designed to um, which are designed to uh, establish that the witnesses um, saw the specific event. You are supposed to ask the witnesses what year of the sabbatical cycle it happened and which sabbatical cycle it happened and and which which month it happened, which day it happened, and which place it happened. And the witnesses must testify on those things, and they must correspond, and they cannot be at all ignorant. Why? Because if a testimony cannot uh, demonstrate that the witnesses, if, if there's no possibility that the witnesses could themselves be conspirers, then the testimony is not admissible in the first place. So the classic, the classic conspiring, conspiring, you know, uh, witness says, I testify that in such and such a date, such such time, such and such a year, such and such a place, such and such a matter, in the sabbatical cycle, uh, I was in New York and I saw you, I saw the defendant, you know, commit the following crime. But another witness comes along and says, not true, because on such and such a time that you've just identified, you were with me in California, so you could not have possibly seen that. Now the witness, the original witness, is Muzam. He has shown to be a conspiring witness and therefore gets the punishment that they that he originally sought to, to foist upon the first poor defendant. Now, why is it that the second witness is that the second witness is accepted against the first witness? That's a hard problem that is given no satisfactory answer. But the fact is that the that the uh, the testimony in a capital trial always must contain the possibility that the witness can be proven to be not just false but conspiring because you weren't in, you weren't in the place you weren't in the place you said you were to begin with. Okay, why did I say this is interesting in? Um, in terms of modern philosophy. Uh, how do you know what you know? That's a major question in philosophy. It's an area, a whole area called epistemology. And it's modern philosophy has proven that many of the arguments uh, about which people for centuries said, well, knowing is knowing is this or knowing is that, many of those arguments are actually poor arguments. And 
to attain what we call justified true belief, which is the, the shorthand for what, what philosophers tend to describe knowledge as justified true belief. It's true, and it's, you come to it for, for the right reasons. Um, you, there are a number of different proposals that people make, and one of the famous proposals in 20th century philosophy that, that, that was discussed is associated with a philosopher called Karl Popper, who said that uh, real knowledge has to be falsifiable. You have to prove, you have to be able to prove that something is false. And if you cannot prove that it is false, you cannot really prove that it is true either. I think Hazama is a rabbinic intuition that is somewhat close to Popper. A testimony cannot be considered valid in a capital case if it cannot be proven to have been impossible. So your witnesses, your, your, your witnesses to claim that the person uh, committed this crime, they have to be investigated themselves to discover whether or not they actually are, are the liars. So, I hope uh, you found that interesting and a um, little, little window into rabbinic uh, jurisprudence. Thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to studying with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.